Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we explore canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we will be discussing the brand new Thrawn Ascendancy book, Greater Good. My name is Beth Van Dusen. With me, as always, of course, are Chad J. Shank and Ryan Schweck. Over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We've already read this book, and we are assuming you have as well, or don't care about spoilers. Also, in the course of our conversation, we might, can, probably will spoil anything else Star Wars, up to and including the first episode of The Bad Batch, which we watched today. That has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, how's the news? Well... You remember all that stuff I said last week about they were saving a bunch of stuff for May the 4th? Turns out that wasn't exactly true. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed pretty slow. They didn't do nothing. They released a whole lot of toys, none of which were real great. Hasbro did a few Bad Batch figures. Um, They did a prototype Boba Fett for the Vintage line. They did a couple of video game figures that released at GameStop. And in true Hasbro Star Wars fashion, they released them today at one o'clock, and it was an utter disaster. The Boba Fett sold out in like 20 seconds. The Walmart links went up early, not listed, and everybody just bought them not knowing what they were. So it was a normal mess up from the Hasbro Star Wars team. I mean, really, other than that, you know, we got some stuff, like some videos from Galaxy's Edge that, look, it's nice to get a little video of a flyby of some planets, but I think we were talking earlier. It really feels just like, here's some footage we filmed, probably for the new hotel. Here you go. Here's some crap we had left over. Uh Uh-huh. They feel like unused assets from the theme park rides. Mm Mm-hmm. Or used assets. I don't know. I haven't been on the new Star Tours, so I don't know. Maybe... Maybe they are. Yeah. I mean, because the little Hoth thing just felt exactly like you would. That's what you would put on the screen while you're flying through Hoth yeah. and Star Tours. So I didn't understand that. First of all, if you want to do something like that, great. Make it an hour long so I can get baked and just kind of chill out on Tatooine or something for an hour. But like there were, you know, these they were screensavers. For the cameras yeah. to move so slowly and, and it just be so static, I expected it to be longer. I mean... I didn't need two minutes of looking at the same red lines on Crete. We should probably say what we're talking about. What were they called? Biomes. Biomes, right. And the vehicle fly-throughs were just as bad. Yeah, it feels like... Because there were two. There was the Millennium Falcon and a Star Destroyer. A New Order Star Destroyer. Sorry, a First Order Star Destroyer, which is why I know it's from the theme park. (laughs) It reminded me of my Apple TV when it goes, you know, to um, <laughs> screensaver, screensaver mode. mode, does these like drone shots over different uh-huh. countries and everything. These really gorgeous 4K, beautiful vistas from around the world. It was like one of those, but just not as good. <laughs> it felt like a very strange thing to put up. Like that should just be something they put on YouTube for free. Yeah, if I'm going to if I'm going to hover for two minutes over Mustafar, I want something to happen while I'm watching it and not just watch lava flow. Now, one thing they did show from the theme park that was awesome is they revealed the video of their new lightsaber, 
which I can't remember if we had talked about it because we knew they had leaked it at the investors meeting, but man, they showed that thing and it is awesome. <laughs> like the handle looks a little big, but if it really does retract and extend like that. All the pictures I've seen, the, the people holding the hilts are holding them in a very specific way. So I'm wondering if there's some sort of battery pack that they're trying to cover up with their hands or, or they're doing something down there that they don't want us to see. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I haven't looked at them. Yeah, they haven't released price or anything. People are assuming four to 500 If force effects are like 200 So it'll come out at, what's it called? Uh, what's the place called? Galactic Star. Galaxy's Cruiser. Edge. Yeah, it's whatever the hotel is called. It's oh, going to okay. come out at yeah. the hotel first. Oh, did you hear? They had to cut out part of Rise of the Resistance, the ride, because of COVID regulations. And I don't know exactly what got cut out, but there's something <laughs> okay. in it they had to cut out of it to meet California's regulations. Well, people should go to Florida. I'm sure they're wide open. <laughs> they're jamming that Millennium Falcon with as many people as they can get. <laughs> I have a hard time getting excited over things like this in the Optimus Prime because while I'm very invested in this stuff and already spend too much money on crap like this, it's just not very accessible, you know, like, yeah. hey, here's this $500 toy. Like you said, Beth, I, I can get furniture. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a decent sofa. Yeah, it just it doesn't feel fun to me. I don't know, man. I just I just saw it and I was like, oh, OK, great. Something I'm not going to buy, you know? Yeah. Well, like I was I was looking at GameStop yesterday and I was looking at some of the stuff that they had put up and I'm like, mm, that Captain Cardinal Stormtrooper helmet's pretty rad, but uh, 80 bucks. I mean, you know, I'd rather set aside all that money that I would have spent yesterday on merch that I didn't need and save up to go to Disney World because I'm going to have to have like Dragon Con size money to go to Disney World. And listen, I'm not a completist, so I get it. Things like the sail barge and things like that that are just these super expensive premium toys. Totally understand it. It's just I don't get excited for them because I'm not willing to spend that money on something like that. And it doesn't seem in the spirit of toys. <laughs> you know, it's there. I guess. they're, But I guess they're not toys. I guess they're collectibles or they're. My collection says differently. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. And I get it. And I have stupid stuff I collect. You know, I could sell one magic deck and buy one of these. So we all have our own stupid ways we spend our money. But I don't know. It just seems very, I don't know, very elite products. While I was expecting more, you know, like, hey, everybody, let's celebrate Star Wars together. What else did they release? They did the Simpsons little episode. I didn't see it. Did y'all like it? It was it was cute. It was cute. That's it was all short. you can say about it. That's right. It's too short to really have an opinion on. <laughs> It's, it's just something there. It feels like content. It doesn't feel like a short film. It doesn't feel like something someone had to tell. It doesn't feel like a carefully curated project that someone, you know, worked their ass off for. It feels like content, which is what the other stuff felt like, too. And I mean, really, that's it for May the 4th. Yeah, Bad Batch Weird. came out. They started the War of the Bounty Hunters, which... Yeah. It's not so great, but we'll see. It's We've got it for the next six months, so... Yeah, the first issue was not very impressive. Yeah. It does not bode well because it's setting up that it's going to spend, like you said, the next six months telling us a story we've already we've already seen before many, many times. Over the last several years, you know, I pick up my kid from school and like all the kids are wearing Star Wars shirts on the 4th and 
people are mentioning it all over the place and it's it's become a legitimate like unofficial holiday for people and i felt very little presence from lucasfilm yesterday yeah i mean i know they dropped the new episode of bad batch and that's awesome and we're gonna get the second episode friday which is great but i just i was like oh where's the i don't know where's the where's some footage from taika's you know just on location stuff where where's something to get us excited i thought for sure we get something from andor i mean andor is yeah filming and they've got a lot of it done already and like some leaked set videos came out of some short short troopers but nothing official give us 30 seconds of ewan mcgregor in his obi-wan outfit laughing yeah and like goofing off on set don't show us anything just have them you know just have some behind the scenes thing where your ewan's like see you soon He's out there training hours a day. Just like show us 30 seconds of training and have him wave at us. Anything. And then loop it in slow motion so we can. Yeah. Um, Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, It was it was kind of an underwhelming fourth, but that's okay. It's all a stupid made up holiday anyway. So one good thing that did happen on the fourth (laughs) is Bad Batch. So we thought we would start tonight by talking about the old Bad Batch some. Did y'all like it? Yeah. I, I like them much better now than I did tacked into a Clone Wars season that I needed other things to happen in, if that makes sense. I can sit back and care about them as characters now. Like, I care more about what Echo's still going through and Solid Snake Trooper, whatever his name is. You mean now that you're not waiting for Ahsoka to show up? Right. Yeah. I get that. The first four episodes, you're like, listen, this is interesting, but this is not what I came for. Now, this is what you're coming for. They're still tropey, but since I'm here for them, it's fine. You you can be tropey like you want to be. It's cool because I'm not waiting for you to get the hell out of the way so that I can see some sisters who I want to get out of the way so that I can see what's going on in the galaxy. That's true. Yeah, that was kind of the... Wrecker's really pushing it, though. <laughs> Oh, like, yeah. I was like, all right. Stop, stop laughing. Stop going, ha, I like this kid. And ugh. all the pieces are in place already. We got a, we got a kid. Mm-hmm. Filoni, you already can tell as soon as it said created by Dave Filoni at the end, you're like, yeah, there's a kid. Uh-huh. So we've got our kid. We've got our heroes on the run. We've already got our villain established. We've got the dad batch. <laughs> dad batch. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's good. I mean, we know what the most important thing was. Is we got a little little kid named Caleb Dune. Sweet, sweet little Caleb. Not super sweet, uh, though. <laughs> no, he was a brat. Well, kind of annoying. <laughs> kind of annoying. Yeah. <laughs> if I was Solid Snake Trooper, I'd have probably shot him. Well, Caleb, shall we let them do what they do? Only if I can go with them. Very well. Hey, kid, you ready for this? We move fast. Good. That's the only way I know. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You're 14. <laughs> you don't have a way. I loved it, though. I thought he was great. Yeah. So, yeah, it was nice to see him and Deepa. So, Ryan, did you, you said you looked it up. Did this conflict, does this conflict with his origin in the comics? It does. Not too crazy, but so there's obviously the Bad Batch isn't there. But also, he never sees Deepa die. That moment where he turns around and kind of goes back and witnesses and all that, that's not there. And then you just kind of see him run. And there's some difference, like, you know, with dialogue and that kind of thing. Is it the correct planet? I, I think so. It looked like it. I didn't look at it too close. What did you think? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Outside, I got annoyed by Wrecker a little bit. Um, and I do hate Crosshair, the toys spoiled that he was would turn against them, which kind of How'd sucks. they do that? 
Uh, on the Black Series figure for Crosshair, on the back of it, it says it. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Now, that figure is not officially out, so it's not like it's in stores, but it's been Yeah, but still, they shouldn't it. post the spoiler on the toy. You know what, man? Ever since I bought that soundtrack that said that had a track called The Death of Qui-Gon. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of used to that stuff. I guess... I don't know what the story's going to be, but, you know, that's up to them. There is another, like, admiral who's going to be the main bad guy also. Okay. And he was actually one of the toys they released yesterday. So they expect people to buy a toy for a character they haven't even seen yet? Beth, this is Star Wars. I yeah, you're like right. 40 Phantom Menace toys before I saw <laughs> a single frame of that film. I'm sorry. I forgot for a minute. Um, I would like to introduce you to a certain constable. <laughs> from Jekku. <laughs> Just to check in, because we have talked about this on the Needless Things podcast, the Constable Zuvio toy at my local Walgreens is still there. Oh, Going you. strong. Now I can sleep tonight. <laughs> I'm going to drive to Alabama and buy that shit just to mess with you. One thing I did want to talk about the Bad Batch. Let's get our bets in. What is going on with Amiga? Is she something special or who or what is she? Because I have a theory. I mean, I knew within two seconds of looking at her, that was a variant clone. Yeah. I didn't feel like that was a big re- reveal. It's like, oh, kid with the same accent and no other point of being on Camino. The only other human on Camino. Of course, she's some kind of clone. Yeah, that's all I got from her. She's a Django clone. So here is what I think. Uh-oh. All right. I think it's Filoni. I think he likes to tie things in. Mm-hmm. I think she's got midichlorians. There's a scene where she says something about somebody's feelings and it feels kind of out of place. Right. And she says, you seem angry like she's almost feeling it. And I think it would make sense. It will tie it into the Mandalorian if kind of at the end they were experimenting with midichlorian clones. So that kind of explains why that one guy, the doctor on Mandalorian, has the Camino patch and it gives a good reason it's for true. why the Empire would go so hard after these people. They figure hmm. out, look what they were doing. Okay. I halfway expected, this, and it's probably just because we had just read this book, that when they were escaping on the planet, I was like, she's about to use the third sight. <laughs> like, she's going to go up there. <laughs> and go I did kind of I did kind of feel that, too, for a second. I was like, oh, she she's going to use some kind of force power. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're you're correct in that her mutation is that because she shows no other there's no other visible discernible at least thus far mutation that she has we know she's one of the enhanced clones but we don't know what is enhanced right and that's what i say they call her enhanced they don't call her uh unaltered clone like they do boba also another action figure i bought yesterday not having watched the show yet (laughs) i know it's not but it still felt like cool more clone wars it felt much more Clone Wars than I thought it would. It's like when they did the you know the voiceover in the beginning, that kind of surprised me. I don't think we'll have that anymore, though. Do you think? I was wondering that if that was just kind of the first one, burn away the Clone Wars logo. I think that's exactly what it is. I don't think we get those narrations anymore. Yeah, that, it felt like a handoff. All right. So yeah, Bad Batch. It's great. 16 episodes. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw that. Yeah, so it's going to be on for a while. We'll probably touch on it here and there on here. And then maybe once it gets to the end, we can do a little wrap up show like we did for Mandalorian. 
All right, well, are we ready to move on to this week's fine book? Let me get my mini papers together. Let's see if I can get through all of this. Oh, you wrote it out? Yes, I wrote this one out. That was a one-time special episode. <laughs> After last time's experiment in improv. There's a lot of stuff in this book, and I'm probably about to cover about 40% of it. It's a book, that's for sure. You wanted the best? Well, you got the best. It's Chiss! <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was real proud of that one. Uh, get ready, folks. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, next week, we'll be back with Dark oh. Disciple. <laughs> we'll be back next week with our new co-host, um, <laughs> Gary Mitchell. We'll be replacing Ryan next week. He's going to have to go sit on Bogan and think about what he's done. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll get it back together. <laughs> Do you want me to say it again? No. Okay. No. <laughs> this week we'll be discussing the second book in the Ascendancy series, Greater Good by Mr. Timothy Zahn, where we learn the Chiss are not so great. After the events of the first book, Thrawn, Ar- Arlani, and our new captain, Lakinda, who in my head I called Linda the whole time because the idea of a Chiss captain named Linda was funny, are cleaning up the last of the Nicardin after the defeat of Old Yed. Meanwhile, Zat, and I can never say his name, Zestalalmu and Thurifan are pissed that their scheme from the last book didn't work and are searching for a new plan to take Thrawn down. Chasing a rumor of a blockade on Repack, Thrawn makes allies with their leader, Ungali, when he reveals that it's him that took that ring from him during the first book for safekeeping, and he's actually Chiss, and he's here to return Ungali reveals that they have been harboring refugees who fled to their planet after a civil war destroyed it. And then they left with some of the other repacks to protect their culture. These are, of course, the refugee ships that started the first book because it's Star Wars and even the Sinisi is super small. The refugees are only known as the people and they are led by Magus who only talk to Thallus as they are a matriarchal society and for some reason sit in circles a lot. Magus tells her that their world was destroyed by the Civil War and so since they haven't heard anything back, they're going to go ahead and kill themselves so that they can become <laughs> force ghosts and clean up like their you planet do. for whoever comes next. So Thrawn convinces them to come on back to the planet and investigate and maybe check if they aren't maybe moving a little fast on the whole ritual suicide thing. Arlani and Linda, meanwhile, come across Nicardian bases that someone else has destroyed using transforming missile asteroids, kind of like those crappy rock go-bots. Yeah, a little bit. Lin- yeah. Linda gets a message then that Thrawn must return uh, to Silas. Silas to investigate rumors of Agali pirates that were provided by Therafin, who thinks maybe they can get a, set, a trap to set up Thrawn. I mean, seriously, do they really think this is going to work? These rumors were provided by Jixtus and Haplin. Who's Haplin, you say? It's plot detour time! In this book's memory flashbacks, we meet Jixtus's scout-slash-strategy man, who is a total creep. After starting a civil war on a planet, surprise, it turns out to be the Magus's world, Jixus sends him to find a weakness to take down the mighty Chiss. How will he do this? By traveling with some college kids on their gap year. <laughs> Haplin picks up Chiss lovers, Yeoman and Yopetik, from a lower Chiss family by pretending to be cultural nomads looking to travel the universe funded by spice and selling jewelry, kind of like some annoying hippies that follow fish. 
Also, Halfling touches people a lot. A whole lot. A whole lot. <laughs> Along their journey, they look at birds and stuff. And Halfling learns a lot about the <laughs> Chiss family's struggle to gain status on one another and finds his opening. He convinces Oyapotnik to take him to meet with a lower Zundok family official on Chellis. But Yeoman won't shut up about seeing the stupid birds and is obviously distrustful of Haplin, probably because of the whole touching thing. So, him and his pretend wife poison some birds and... and wait. Oh, yeah. Poisons birds. And when that doesn't work... It's okay. Yeoman, it's, a, it's as dumb as it sounds. Keep going. Yeah. When that doesn't work, Yeoman still won't shut up about the stupid birds. So he just kills her. And then he just tells Yopik she leave. She left. Yopik goes along with this because he wants to raise his spot in the family too. Obviously oblivious to the fact that creepy old Haplin keeps touching him and then his girlfriend died. So off they head to Celis, where we meet the present tense of this book. On Celis, they're allowed to take over the Lafro Ranch and grow some spice. What kind of spice? I don't know. Let's just pretend it's weed. And what? under... The Agboo cover, <laughs> they flash some jewelry around to local officials. Laffer, the local ranger, doesn't trust these weirdos, but allows them to stay, keeping a close eye while his daughter makes friends with the young Agboo. Lakpen, Lukin, there's a lot of, you know, it's a chess book. There's so many bad names. Lakuv, the Zodak Sindak, checks out this jewelry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And find us made some rare metal that's used to make ships and weapons. And if the oh, and the Agbu claim they have a whole abandoned planet of it, deciding this could raise the Zodak family to ruling status, he plans to go steal it. Back to Thrawn. Arriving on the planet's homeworld, it looks pretty jacked up. But before they can look further, they're attacked by a dreadnought. Linda gets there and gives Thrawn the message he's got to go chase some pirates and Thrawn does his Thrawn thing and they defeat the ship and then head off. Old Magus has seen enough and decides for time for her people to die. Her companion kills herself with the force, I guess. But before the Magus can, Thrawn throws her in a hibernation chamber, throws a blanket over her, and then leaves her in Thallus' room. Sleep well, Thallus. Thrawn goes out to chase the pirates and comes across a frigate claiming to be attacked by said pirates and after finding off some ships, Thrawn agrees to go with him to the pirate base. When they arrive, Thrawn figures out pretty quick that the ships are being controlled remotely by the frigate and easily defeats them, learning that the captain was hired to keep him busy. Oh, that Thrawn sure is a smart one. Back on Rancher World, Haplin continues to fleece the locals, except for Lafro, who gets even more suspicious when one of the girls gets scared by her daughter's zipper for some reason and goes into a PTSD cowering on the ground. <laughs> this doesn't really ever come back up again. Of course. Not really, no. Haplin covers it by flashing some more jewelry, but Lafro's <laughs> not falling for that, sending it to his cousin who convinces it to send the Thrawn to check out. Haplin does some more touching, which finally turns out to be a psychic reading that his people can do to find out what people are thinking. The local Syndax try to pretend they want to help Haplin and the Agbui and say, sure, we'll take you back to your planet and keep you safe. But really what they're going to do is check out the mine to take it over. But this is exactly what Haplin wants to do. And he takes them to the abandoned planet with the assistance of Hualorbi, who's back 
Jix is sending him to Pathfind for them and shows him the mind. But of course, they can't take too close of a look. The Zodak fan Syndicate decides that they're going to take his old busted family ships <laughs> that are left over from when they were a ruling family back to the mine and claim it for the family. And thanks to Yopanek's history lesson, he can get his family back to the um, ruling status. They call back. Oh, wait, go back. Erase that. Okay. The Zendak family decides they're going to take. I absolutely old- will not. <laughs> oh, I have terrible handwriting. <laughs> the Zodex <laughs> in there decides he's going to take his old busted family ships to the mine and claim it for the family. And thanks to Yopenik's history lesson, he learns that they can call in all the family that are in the fleet, including Linda. Thrawn returns to People World and again gets to really check it out and is again attacked by the Dreadnought. After destroying it, they find that the people are rebuilding and they're protecting mines. Huh. Thrawn receives the jewelry and checking with the old Magnus discovers that the metal is actually farmed on their planet. Thrawn thanks her by throwing her back into the sleeping chamber. Is two books in a row with a lot of mining, guys. Lots of mining. <sighs> he also finds out that Linda's been called back and heading to the fake mining world. Thrawn throns it up and puts it all together. Our three battleships make a plan to head it to Agbui Mine World only to find two other families laying claim also and prepared to do battle for it, completing Havlin's Civil War plan. Thrawn pretends to be attacked by the remote ships he captured earlier with the Vigilant, and the Springhawk and the Greyshirt arrive pretending to help. The families put aside their claim, and they fight, and in the end, with the help of Sherry, using her Force powers to somehow shoot a tractor beam, Catch crash the frigate into the mine so they won't discover the ruse and send the ascendancy into chaos. In the end, we learn the senator just sweeps it all under the rug and pretends it just never happens. Linda gets a promotion and gets moved to the Azari ruling class family as a trialborn, who they hope her loyalty with the family will undo Thrawn. Haplin, meanwhile, getting left behind on Silas, meets up with the rancher Lafro, who's had enough of his touching nonsense, and they fight, at one point hitting each other with dogs that are attached to their wrists. In the end, Lafro beats Haplin to death while his people just fly over and say, see you, dude, later. It's far more grisly than that. Oh, it sure is. After the death of the myth patriarch, Thurifin gets promoted not to Sinduk Prime as he hoped, but the family patriarch, and immediately starts thinking how he can take down Thrawn. But before he can hatch a plan, a family official arrives to take him to the homeworld to discover the true history of the myth. And surprise, surprise, it's Star Wars, so they have a powerful weapon called the Star Flash. But the most important epilogue, Yixtus yep. meets with Kalori and says, yeah, I knew that whole Chiss thing wouldn't work, but good call on Thrawn. We're going to take care of him. But really what we need to know is how he's traveling through hyperspace. Then he reveals, of course, that he's fucking Grisk. The end. (laughs) Of course he's Grisk. Thus proving we were right all along. We are legitimate Thrawns in how we were able to (laughs) sniff that out. There's like a whole lot of other battles and stuff that happen. There's some stuff in the (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you didn't tell me anything about what uh, Thales and Cherie were doing the whole time. They're hanging out in secondary weapons command. I mean, that's some super super exciting stuff there. No, I really did like it a lot. Yeah. I think we talked. uh, It is a little similar 
to the other books and that it's kind of jump to planet, do the thing, Thrawn smart, jump to planet, do thing. I thought the episodes in it were more seamlessly connected than in the yes, first one. I agree. I, it didn't feel as episodic to me. It, it still, it felt like one big story to me. Yeah, it definitely pushed the story along more. Now, I never thought I would say this, but there wasn't enough Thrawn. I was a yeah. little missing Thrawn sometimes. There were there were chunks where I was like, yeah, I really wish we were with, we were with Thrawn right now. Yeah, I got kind of tired of ranch time with Tatooine. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked Linda building her out a little more. She was good. I, I liked all the time spent with Aralani. But yeah, I could have done with less haplip time to put some more Thrawn in there. The touching got a lot. We spent too much time with the bad guys, in my opinion. Yeah. And not even the important bad guys, if we don't find out that Jixtist is a grisk until the very end. But Haplip's an important bad guy, as we find out. I mean, they're all, they all are. We don't necessarily know that at the time, but you can kind of tell. Yeah. But you're right. It's totally like they're following fish around the country. They're selling jewelry out of their van. <laughs> they're, they're growing weeds this is by the way yet another star wars book i will say that doesn't seem to know what spice is they don't even try in this one yeah they're doing multiple spices they're doing spices but it could just be cooking spices it doesn't say that they're drugs because at one point he says like uh well yeah but then what then why do they need to make some oregano f- to continue their journeys that doesn't I make any know. sense but yeah, he even says, like, I hope you like it on your food. And I'm like, what are we talking about now? What what are we what is spice now? Are they really just decided that it's not drugs anymore? I really did just picture like the Abuja show up, put some blankets on the ground, and put out their crappy jewelry. <laughs> They've got some yes. spice if you know how to ask. But then the people awesome. totally buy into it. And what I really did like though is like they wrote that so well, and you know they're just awful scumbag people that like will kill you. They'll poison some birds. They'll throw you out of airlock. Whatever. Man, it made the Chiss look stupid. Like, I just... The history of the Chiss, like, there's nothing I've seen so far that would make me think the Chiss would be like, yeah, sure, come on, land. Like, I like jewelry. You can hang out over here for a while. Linda's entire family seemed real stupid. Yeah. Not Chiss-like at all, because the farmers were all of her family. The people up the chain that they go to with the jewelry they make this decision to go take over a mine they haven't seen just based on a couple of brooches and i like when they get there she's totally cool with her like yeah you can't look at that here come look in this window for a second she's like oh yeah we could totally take these people (laughs) with the chist i would say in this book though i got a much better i guess feeling or understanding of how it works versus the first book as far as like the families and what the positions mean and kind of how they interact. I thought he did a really good job explaining all that without it just being like an exposition dump. Well, maybe ultimately that's part of why we have to spend so much time with the farmers is because they have to go up the chain of command and we get to see truly how the chain of command works. I still feel Mm -hmm. like it's too much time with the farmers, but... (laughs) There's a reason for it, I guess, at least. It's a little too much time with the farmers. And and he does come off like he's the farmer that ended up stuck with the Woodstock hippies. <laughs> you got these people coming on your land. That's really his what da- it is. His daughter's being sucked into one of them. They're traveling the, they're traveling the galaxy pretending to be hippies. <laughs> it's literally what they're doing. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, Patriarch Thurfin. <laughs> Thurfin. Thur- Thurfian? 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 I don't know. Thrawn has done nothing but get 
good results. He yeah. has done nothing but bring honor to his family. He has done nothing but made the Chiss Ascendancy expansionary, but not really expansionary, Starfleet Federation proud. Why does he so desperately want to take him down? He's like, one day he's going to mess up. And he's like, but so far he's been pretty damn good. I don't get it. They're the same family, right? Yes. He's making his family look good by doing things good for their family. So why do you want to, why do you want him to fail so badly? Are we going to get a flashback that like Thrawn's dad picked on him like James Potter did or something? And (laughs) that's why he's the Snape of the series. I don't know what, but like it's, I was just like, dude, he's doing, he's doing pretty well. (laughs) Can't you just be like, oh, I was wrong. If it were a rival family, that would be different. That would be fine. I think it's because he doesn't, you know, he's so bad at the politics and he goes against the rules. He's rising so fast. I think he's afraid. He's also adopted. Yeah, he's not really one of them. Well, and Samarco has that conversation with the fleet commander at the end where he says, I don't like him. I don't, you know, I think he does stuff that's against regulations. I think it's terrible. And the difference is he served with him. So, you know, he ends up saying, I'd do anything for him and I'd keep it all secret. And Thurfin doesn't have that. I want to know a little bit more about his motivation for taking Thrawn down because the rationale that the book has given us so far is incredibly flimsy that I'm hoping there's something there's something a little lower you know I hope there is a a more personal motive and maybe it's because he you know has these big aspirations to be head myth and Thrawn is probably the one the ascendancy knows the most and is the most celebrated so he's jealous I don't know. He just keeps saying like, oh, I don't know, man, boy. Yeah, sure. He's great. But one of these days he's going to mess up. And you're like, but he hasn't. Mm-hmm. Why are we assuming that he's gonna? He's, he's wicked smart, as the kids would say. And, and there's so much stuff that's going to have to happen in the third book because we're going to have to meet the Empire. Maybe. Yeah, unless they're gonna I going to I don't think we necessarily have to. I think we could see him jump off at the end and be like, all right, I'm going. I think at the end of the book, the decision can be made that he needs to do something about the grisk and the council disagrees with him. The sin, you know, the syndicate, the syndicate disagrees with him. Yeah. And so he decides to take it upon himself to find an ally in the battle against the grisk. I could see it getting up until that point. He doesn't necessarily have to, Yeah. we don't have to get to him, you know, with his long hair on the Island Yeah. Island on the, on the planet <laughs> where they find him. Yes. The next book is clearly going to be about the grisk as a threat. Oh, and happily he may have failed in this one, but, they know how to take down the Chiss now. Like, just Jixus knows what to do. Like, what buttons to push to make it all fall apart. But he can't do it with Thrawn in the way. Right. Thrawn has spent a lot of time with Cherie, but did not in this book, except to give her things to look out for, and then at the very end give her an extremely important job. So there's got to be more about the Force, because we finally find out a lot more about the Force in this book and what it means to the people in the unexplored regions, because the Magus knows what the Force is, and knows that it's what the Chiss are using to travel through space. Presumably that's what Kalori is using as well, and Thrawn is the one who goes, oh yeah, the Force, yeah, Anakin told me all about that. And pushes her to do something she's never done before. Yeah. I kind of wonder if we're going to see more of that in the next one. Well, I feel like that has to happen because we we did skim over a lot of Cherie and Thalius. Thalius gets a little more to do because she gets to talk to the Magus, but that's right. kind of it. 
I think Shuri's going to be very important in the next book, obviously, since the revelation at the end of this book is that they're after the hyperspace travel capabilities of the Chiss, and they want to know what Nava computers they're using. Well, those Nava computers are these little kids, so that's definitely going to be part of the plot of the third book, I would say. Well, I mean, here's what I wonder. Like, he's got Kalari. Like, he knows what a Pathfinder is. Yeah. So why is it such, like, a mystery? Like, I mean, unless he thinks they've got the lesser space nav computers. I'm not going to lie to you, man. I hate I hate that they're basing all these books on hyperspace because none of them can agree what it does. Yeah. So I'm not, it's like all these, both High Republic and now this, so much of it is wrapped up in hyperspace travel and hyperspace routes and ways to navigate through hyperspace. And I'm like, man, it used to just be punch some buttons into a computer mm-hmm. and it takes you somewhere. It was just a way of going places real fast. And they've evolved it into this other thing, which I think can be interesting, but it feels like everyone's trying to do it at the same time. So I, I don't I don't know. I don't un- quite understand the difference between the Pathfinders and the Skywalkers. I don't quite get the difference. Um, I'm up for explanation if anybody's got one. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the difference? I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much of the story hinges on this. Or at least it's going to, it looks like, on this hyperspace stuff. And I'm like, I thought they were already getting around hyperspace. All I can think of is Jixus is trying to figure out a way to get into lesser space. Like, that's the whole point. Right. Do they know that he's had contact with lesser space? Is that why they want to know if he's been there and gotten stuff from them? Right, that's where they know he got the shields from, right? From the last book well known amongst the Chiss. I don't know how well the Grisk would know that. Right. Yeah. Unless he just assumes when he hears what happened with Yiv and all of a sudden they have these crazy shields. This one was just as Star Trek as the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I like. It's it's cool, but it's it's Star Trek with blue people. Mm-hmm. I like that they're pretty much just good guys relative into this universe. They're good guys. They're not conquerors. They're not, you know, they're the good guys in this part of town. So that is one note I had, and I'm curious what y'all think. This book had Thrawn doing much more altruistic stuff. The last book and, you know, the previous trilogy, he would do good things, but it was really just for the Chiss or for the mission. This one had him more doing stuff sometimes just to help people. Is that going to be a problem with the Disney Plus shows? When he assumingly is going to be the big bad villain again. We don't know that. Yeah. Here's what I'm starting to think. The picture that Zahn is now painting of his most famous creation is of this. We talked about it in the first episode. High functioning, autistic, brilliant, talented man with no political tact who is a good person and in his own way in the same way that a you know Sherlock Holmes or something in the, in the way he can care about Watson does care about other people who is going to make a decision to align himself with evil for the sake of his people because he believes with his giant brain, because his giant brain is never wrong. 
he believes the only way that the only way these people are going to survive is by aligning themselves with the empire. Others don't agree with that. And maybe he's wrong. So I, I don't think it's a, I think it works that he's a good person and he ends up having to make what is basically a sacrifice to try to hook up with the empire and see if he can con them to help him out. And it doesn't quite work. He's ruthless. He does his job when he's in the empire, but I don't necessarily think that means he's a giant mustache twirling villain. I'm hoping we see a more subtle version of him on the shows. I guess I'm just having a hard time kind of putting together this version of Thrawn and Rebels version of Thrawn. Because I just don't see this, like even with the mission, I don't see this version of Thrawn going at the Rebels that hard. Especially after he's been running around saving everybody from pirates like the Repack. And- yeah, but those are the pirates. Yeah. Think of the rebels as the pirates. Yeah. Because what I got out of this book was I was watching him chase down these pirates and I'm like, oh yeah, just like he chases down the rebels. That's true. If he's aligned with the Empire, the rebels are the criminals. They're not the good guys. And so he is doing the same thing he was doing there. I actually think it was kind of clever in this book. The way yeah, the way he made it where Zon's almost specialty is kind of these hunting down these and rooting out these pirate camps and stuff and taking on these groups and everything. And that would make sense that that's why maybe they would call him in to Lothal be like, you're real good at counterinsurgency. You know, that's a, it's a skill that he's developing now is counterinsurgency. And so maybe it's like, you're real good at that. Hey, we got these, you know, five or six assholes in a VX 100. We can't get rid of. Mm -hmm. I think that tracks, you know, we just have to think about the fact that he is allying himself with what we know is an evil entity and what he most likely knows is an evil entity. But again, he's doing that for the greater good of the Chiss mm-hmm. at his own detriment, really. I have no idea what Thrawn we're going to see. But remember, we had no idea what Boba Fett we were going to see. So don't think for a second that they're going to be stuck in our preconceived notions about these characters, because that is not what anyone expected when Boba Fett arrived on The Mandalorian. I have no idea what they're going to do with him in live action. I'm excited that I don't know. Maybe Ezra's given him a big heart. Do you know who he is? And people are going to take this the wrong way, and they probably should. He's like the Robert E. Lee of Star Wars, like, or at least the yeah. the mythological Robert E. Lee, the Robert E. Lee that, especially us growing up in the South, right, were were told in school that, well, you know, he never really wanted to fight for the Confederacy. He was a good general who who only joined the Confederacy because he was from Virginia, breaking his sword over his knee to reunite America. Thanks, Laser <laughs> Show. I was just about to say, in lasers. I mean, you know, we all grew up in the shadow of the Stone Mountain Laser Show, right? So, I mean, I literally, my parents literally, you know, we hear the hot fireworks every night. Yeah, me too. And and there's been this story created about him of how he was this reluctant leader in the Confederacy, all ignoring the fact that he was still the leader of the Confederacy. (laughs) And Thrawn's almost like that, right? It's kind of telling the story of this guy who's a good general and a good man, but who's going to have to do evil things to protect his own people. But we're still getting this glimpse of him now before he's had to make that terrible decision. I don't find it out of character. Not- I haven't found anything out of character yet because his character is still being built yeah. up until this point. So if if I get to the end of the next book and I'm like, I don't see any of this, then okay. But so far, I think it tracks. I just wish he was in it more. Yeah, I actually felt like this book had, I wanted a few more Thrawn being a smarty pants sequences. I felt like I didn't get enough of those. I also felt that the um, while I liked that the ending was stopping a war, 
it was also a little anticlimactic to get to that point where like the entire ending was about stopping people from shooting at each other while pretending to be shooting at each other. Well, I feel like if we'd spent more time with Thrawn throughout the book, that would have been a better payoff. But it feels it feels so disjointed to me because he shows up at the end and it's just like, all right, here's my plan. Like, well, where the hell have you been? I thought it was funny that at the end he solves the problem by using the same trick that he saw through. Yep. When the other pirates did it, he was like, mm -hmm. eh, that's a pretty good trick. I'm super smart. So I saw right through it. But other idiots won't <laughs> and decides <laughs> to use it. Lesser beings won't get this. So let's try it. Well, but I do like he says like, yeah, they may go back and look at some videos of this. So everybody make it look good. Yeah. Oh, man, he he told, he pulled some black ops stuff, man. Yeah. He, at the end, he's like, so we're going to do this and we're going to make sure we can't trace this and. It's not just that it's crashing in there. We have to make it look like it's being piloted. Okay, here's my question about the crashing into the planet. So they crash into the planet, you know, so I guess the mine will be destroyed. No, no, it wouldn't, dig, but go they ahead. They won't dig up the mine and the yeah. fact that Haplin's holding the whole planet has that metal on it. And they're all just like, God, let's go home, guys. And off they go. <laughs> There was only one mine and, and oh, it got blown up and there's no other way to get to the metal. So let's all leave. It was just a wrecked ship, for God's sakes. Thrawn would have helped them. Now all the Agbui are dead. All you got to do is go go down there, plant your flag. This is the ship's mine now. It's ours. Well, and I guess the point, though, would be once they started digging, they would find out. Whoops, not. They do say in the last chapter, they do say that now that everyone knows it was a fraud, they're still acting like it wasn't. Yeah. They do know. They have excavated. They have checked and made sure that it was a big fraud. But they're all, politically, they're all acting as if it was still a thing in order to create leverage or power or whatever, you know, to, to make political wheels move or to settle little grudges. They're using that even though they all know the truth. And I guess he just kept the people and Maggie's quiet so they wouldn't know where the real metal is. It ended, this, it ended it at the moment. That was a thing. Like, I think what's important about that it ends the battle. When you do that, there's nothing to fight over at that moment. Then it can get straightened out later. It did make me really want to read, like, maybe a comic or a short story of the Agbui, like, what they were doing with the other families and what crappy story they told them. Yeah. Maybe they have some other crazy stories they go with. Maybe they're a circus or a bunch of carnies for one planet. Yeah, when they mentioned that, it reminded me of that sequence in... Cabin in the Woods, when we like just get a little glimpse of what's happening in the other yeah. control stations around the world, <laughs> where it was like, oh, yeah, no, they've been conning people all over. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting for the first time, I think we actually saw that Chiss marry for love. Yeah, that was kind of surprising. Because mm -hmm. there was no romance in the first book. And I commented, I was like, man, do the Chiss like just not have sex? Like what's going on here? And this one, we actually got to see a Chiss couple in love. And it just seemed like a normal Earth couple in love, you know, getting his ass dragged all around the world, watching birds <laughs> migrate <laughs> all over the galaxy. And that's true love when you go watch birds for a girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he was not interested in those birds. No. But yeah, they were, but they were a young chist couple in love from the same family. They were from the same clan. But that doesn't meet blood or anything, but they're some from the same family, so... That's our first indication, I guess. I don't think we hear anything else about just relationships still. Well, and the rancher, like... <laughs> I'm going to say... Uh, the, oh, yeah, the rancher, the, that's true. The yokels. Here's the <laughs> thing is, the rancher was written in, in a way that I see him as a white guy. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. It felt weird. Like, I was like, who are these weirdos? I have a hard time thinking of him as Chiss. Like, he's just a white dude to me. You know, he's got some overalls on. Yeah, because there was a moment at the end where he was like, I'm a Chiss or something, or someone referenced the Chiss. And I was like, oh, yeah, I just, I thought he was some hillbilly. I forgot he was. Do you feel like they stayed, he stayed too long in those memory chapters? Like, was it too long? I thought they were pretty quick. They were usually pretty short. Yeah. The chapters themselves were short. Yeah, while they didn't really take me out of anything, they didn't really add anything for me either. Well, what I hated, like, I got interested in them once. Was it Yeoman? Yeoman started to, like, outwardly be like, nah, I'm not down with y'all. And then they killed her pretty quickly after that. Um, I think I would have liked to see more of that, like... When she kind of started to hide like that, her picture journal things and all that. I think that stuff kind of, I mean, but that was the culmination of that story. Because right after that story, they come to the planet where they say, hey, can we squat on this farm? So mm-hmm. them killing her is supposed to be, it, it suffers from the same thing that I would say Into the Void did. Where, yeah, it's not, it's not that it's uninteresting. And it's not that we're not learning stuff through it. But the fact is, we already kind of know where it's headed to. And so the only climax they can bring you to is that is one that we already know what it is. You know, like the climax of this story is that they kill the girl and that they're really just these con artists. And you're like, yeah, but we've known that the entire time. Sure. We don't know they kill the girl, but the girl's not there when they arrive. Yeah, that's all I was interested in. It was how did they separate them? And old yeah. Potnik was still like happy to be on Rancher World. And I was like, what did they do to the girl? Yeah, it turns out he's just kind of an idiot and doesn't care. Like, go on without her. Yeah, he's just like, yep, that sounds like her. Let's go. Sounds like her. She's a real bitch. I mean, he did. He doesn't seem to like her very much. He doesn't. She loves those damn birds more than me. All right, let's go. One detail I did love in that is they pulled over to throw her body out of hyperspace. (laughs) It wasn't necessary to write it, but they sure did. Like, yeah, and we pulled over and threw her body out. It's like, all right, good yeah, job, Yeah, I just kind of assumed they had, but... Yeah, yeah that was know. just his way of letting us know she was dead. That was just a punchline. I, I figured. No, I, I liked them doing it. Yeah. It was funny. I did like, too, when they killed her, when he talked about he doesn't like killing people with his hands because he feels it. Yeah. And it kind of explains more... Oh, that's like kind of cool, yeah. Yeah, how they're more manipulators, because if they directly kill somebody or fight with them, they feel it. The touching thing was weird. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, like, I get it, you're psychic, but stop with the touching. But the best part of it is because they did it all the time. It wasn't like every once in a while they went to do it. It was just like a normal thing. You'd walk into a room and be like, did you touch her? And they're like, nah, she got away this time. I'll get her next (laughs) time. Well, because what they were trying to do is they were trying to map it out, right? They were trying to track the progress with them. Because they can't really, they were more, they weren't telepaths, they were empaths. Yeah, 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 that's a better word for it. They could tell how people were feeling they could read their emotions and so while they're manipulating them they wanted to be they're basically checking their temperature as they go along checking their progress and so they want to check in every once in a while to make sure that their manipulations are doing what they're supposed to do but apparently not every species just likes randomly being touched well and that's another story i'd like to see what how they started the civil war with the magus's people because i don't think they like to be touched And they have such a thing, you know, they're that matriarchal where they only talk to women. So did, I can't remember his name, but his fake wife, did she run point on that one? I don't know. I'd like to see it. 
I did think at first though, before they explained the whole empath thing, when I was like, and he reached out and brushed his hair to the side. I was like, oh, is this about to get sexy? (laughs) 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 What's what's happening here? No, I I read it immediately as, oh, he's trying to pick up on something. And I did, not that I care that much about what happens to the Magus and her people at the end, but it was kind of a dangling thread of you just left her in this hibernation chamber. You told her if she went back to sleep, you'd bring her out and, and then you don't. What do you do with those people at the end? Did they settle it? They didn't. They went back to their world and were like, um, oh, yeah, your your world got blown up and, and we're going to put you back to sleep and, and, hey, come out and identify these people for us. All right, you're done that? All right, we're going to put you back to sleep. Well, but she says, yeah, she says, I'll be strong or whatever. They explain to her and, I mean, still puts her back to sleep. But <laughs> Well, they lie to her. But, yeah, she decides she'll you know, not commit ritual suicide. <laughs> yeah, they actually con her because they show her the bracelet. Yeah. And say, look, your people are still making stuff. Your people are still down there making stuff. And that's not actually what that bracelet was proving or that pendant or whatever it was. Yeah. I'm guessing they go back uh, or we're still in the middle of that story, maybe. I don't know. Is it an important enough story to go to keep going with it? I don't think I so. I felt like that should have been wrapped up and just move on. Because if, if we're taking that to the next book, who cares? I kind of wonder if, because they obviously, they have some connection to the Force. We don't know what it is. But there's that scene where she senses, right before they put her back to sleep, she senses Sherry's in the next room. Oh, Yeah. And so I wonder if they're going to pull her back out and try to learn new force powers or something. Maybe they'll teach her how to force kill yourself because <laughs> that was a new one. <laughs> well, remember, the reason she th- talks to Thalius is not because she's a woman. She tells I, her later the reason she talks to Thalius is because Thalius has touched the beyond. Because Thalius is force sensitive or at least has been force sensitive, you know, was force sensitive before she you know, had her first period, as we discussed last mm-hmm. time. <laughs> And she, I mean, they never specifically say they're going to be force ghosts cleaning up. They could just be, you know, go back in the beyond to help the planet. But even being able to direct something when you're dead, I mean, that's upper level Jedi stuff. Like, Or believing you can, you know what I mean? Right. But I thought, so were those their ships that shot at them when Thrawn went to check back on them? Because remember, they go do the flyby, and that's how he decides that they're still there, is because those ships pop up when they get near a mine. I guess I could just never figure out if the people were, like, where they were at technologically. I mean, I guess they were far enough that they had ships that could get them to repack, but... I mean, it's only been a couple months. Yeah. That's the thing. We're not talking about a civilization that was destroyed a decade ago. We're talking six months ago. Yeah, I think in my head, while I was reading it, for some reason, I just kept thinking them as more like primitive kind of people when that's not what they were. I don't think so. I, I don't think they were as, you know, but they escaped in a starship. So they obviously right. were capable of star travel. So, yeah, I was I never quite caught a grasp on that either. But I do think there were plenty of them still alive. The Magis story was weird. The whole Jim Jones thing was very strange. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, our planet's dead, so we should just all just die. I Again, does she think she's literally going to come back as a force ghost? No, but it does show it does show an advanced understanding of the force in a way that the Jedi get to of the idea of becoming one with it, right? Mm-hmm. Going back to it and becoming one. So what do we think the next book is? Is just full on Grisk attack? It needs to be. It has to be. Well, and I don't even think it'll be. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a Grisk attack. 
I think he's going to set the ascendancy against itself because that's how the groups work, right? I mean, that's what we saw in the other books too, is that he's going to use probably stupid old Thurifit again and whatever this weapon is, the, what's it called? The Star... The Star Flash. Star Flash. Could we have just gone one series without a stupid giant weapon? Nope. We don't know yet. We don't know. Well, and it's an alien weapon, so... Most likely it's from the Empire or from lesser space. They're going to have their own Death Star, I bet. (laughs) My guess is we're going to have, yes, we're going to have some kind of plot that sets the Chiss against each other. Mm -hmm. And Thrawn is going to be on the losing side of an argument saying, these guys are doing this. These are the threat. And that's why he goes off and he joins the Resistance. Is (laughs) Thurfian... I think it's Thurfian. I don't know. Thurfian, he's going to end up. He's going to end up teaming up with the Grisk somehow to maybe unknowingly. Yeah, he's he's going to take a deal with somebody he doesn't know. Something's going to happen with that. It's not just going to be Thurfian going. Damn you, Thrawn, for nothing. I'll take you down for no reason. Now, what if he realizes he was wrong and he's the one that sends Thrawn to lesser space? If he's at the end, it's like, whoops. So <laughs> you're right. I need a little help here. I could just see it being kind of a real Jor-El type situation, you know, where no one's listening to him. Well, and here's what I want to know. So to get to the Empire, he's going to have to go through the chaos, which means he's got to have Sherry with him. Yeah, or somebody. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he gets in a space well belly and he just hitches a ride. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he didn't mind it so much the second time. (laughs) But I think, yeah, we are leading to the moment where he has to decide that this is Mm -hmm. what's best. Maybe he is persona non grata. Maybe Thurfian kind of wins, you know, and that the only way Thrawn has to. I mean, I know he does explain some of this in the last Thrawn books, right? In the first Thrawn book. I don't remember how much detail he went into as to why he was on the planet. Not a lot. Very little. He was there, so the Empire would pick him up. Yeah. We know that. But he talks about being an outcast, I think. Yeah. But who knows? All that could be bullshit, so. How are we going to feel the next book, then? When, you know, if it is... Well, we know that the Chiss is going to be thrown into this chaos, and whether it's them fighting themselves with a Grisk or whoever... There is no end to that story. Like, he will go to the Empire, rebels will happen, him and Ezra shoot off to wherever they are. So he doesn't come back. So can we really get closure on what happened with the Chiss? The Aralani Ascendancy. We could just stay with Aralani and Linda. I actually think that's true <laughs> in, in uh, Samsara, whatever his name is. Yeah. So, like, Samarco. Samarco. Mark. Linda and Mark. <laughs> I think Linda and Mark and Arlani. <laughs> Here's what I'm thinking, and I have no idea. I'm not Timothy Zahn. So you're looking at this. If he does do that, if he does get thrown up to the point where he is now kind of on rails, he's onto the ride, and we don't know anything that's going to happen. You know, we know everything that's going to happen to him up until whenever we see him again on a TV show. He's probably out of Zahn's hands during that time. Mm-hmm. Zahn's not going to get to write any of that. Mm-mm. It wouldn't surprise me if Zahn said, cool, I've gotten Thrawn over to their universe. I'm going to keep writing in mine. 
Like, I don't think another book or another trilogy would be out of completely out of the question to continue the story in this world if that's what he wants to do. If all he wants to do is give us Thrawn's origin, then that's what he'll do. But if he is interested in telling us more about what happens afterwards and the Grisk and all that stuff, then yeah, because we know we're not getting a payoff from the Grisk in the next one because they're still haunting them years later. Mm -hmm. So we know that's not going to be finished. You're right. I would guess that maybe he at least wants to do a book that's I would love a Chiss Ascendancy book without Thrawn. Maybe we see him come back, what, 20 years later after he's done on the Mandalorian. He finally makes it back to the Ascendancy and sees the aftermath, if you will. <laughs> I have a hard time imagining Zahn finding another place to write a Thrawn book after the next one. Yeah. Where's a safe space for Zahn to write a Thrawn book? There's not. There Unless isn't. you go backwards again to like Kid Thrawn. There's nothing interesting back there. No. Um, the only other option is maybe once his show starts, you know, once he's on a show, then maybe Zahn's the guy they turn to to tell the story of how he got there, you know, to, to yeah. tell, you know, but that'll be another one of those books, though, where he's handcuffed by everything else, right? Where he's not free, where he's just going to be telling connective tissue like he did with the last Thrawn trilogy. I can see that happening, maybe. But until then, I'm like, yeah, I don't. And, and we have no idea when we're, when we're going to see that, right? When we're going to see live action Thrawn, we really don't know when. And really, we don't know that we're going to see live action Thrawn. Ahsoka could show up and Ezra could be like, yeah, he died. And then they just move on. Right. Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. Look, obviously, it's not going to happen. It could. <laughs> we're going to see a live action Thrawn. <laughs> that is undisputed. We're going to see all of these fools. We are going to see an Afra. Yeah. We are going to see all these people for better or worse. And so far, it's been pretty good. Eventually, eventually one of them, we're going to be like, uh, oof, that didn't work. Yeah. Like at some point, it does seem weird that Zahn has this giant story in his head with the Grisk and them being this existential threat to the Chiss. And it seems like he has no avenue to tell us. And not only the Chiss, but the Empire too. We're not going to have a chance to pay it off. Again, unless there's something else. I, I said I could see. So we have, let me see. Think real quick. So the, the trilogy that came out was during Rebels time. So then if we say Mandalorian is what, 15 years after that? Roughly, yeah. 12 yeah. Years after that, something like that. Ish. So while he's gone, could we follow the goings on in the Chiss Ascendancy while he's gone? I mean, I'd like to. Do y'all think Arlani is a strong enough character to carry a book? I mean, we didn't talk about her a lot in this book. And she does no. a bit. You know, she investigates the GoBots, but... Yeah, she does. <laughs> I think she's a strong enough character. I don't know if she's a famous enough character. Right. I think if you put her and Mark and Linda together doing stuff in a book, though, and they've got Apro and, and some other people. Yeah, great cast of characters. Yeah. I don't know if people would be willing to follow them if we're just the nerds who want to follow those guys, but... You know how there are Christians that, like, go to church on Easter and Christmas Eve, and that's about it? Mm -hmm. There are some Star Wars fans that just read, like, Thrawn books. There are a ton of reviews on Amazon that give this book one or two stars because it didn't have colored pages. <laughs> look, I agree with There's that. There's an audience. I, I agree to an extent. Pages. They look great. Um, They did. But there are people, like... A Zahn novel is more of an event in Star right. Wars than a lot of other novels are. I do know people specifically that if they find out there's a new Thrawn book, they will read that, but they don't read the other books. Yeah. I did that with for a long time after I grew out of reading those books, I still would read Drizzt Duarden books from Forgotten Realms. I would still read all of those books like I 
held on to that particular series for a long time. Does it sell? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Will it feel like that last couple seasons of the X-Files? I don't know. Maybe it just I want it. I'll say this unless. That's not the story of the next book. That the Grisk yeah. are part of the next book. And by the end of the book, their threat has emerged. But I'm hoping there's probably also another story going along with it. Because at this point, they don't know the Grisk exist. I mean, they kind of do. They just don't know what they're called, right? But they're they're not really on their radar yet either. So I think you could still have it where they're dealing with other things. We're still, because obviously we're going to have to deal with freaking Thurfian and all the family stuff. So timeline-wise... Okay, if he went and met with Anakin in the last book, and that doesn't seem like it was... Obviously, it wasn't that long ago. Maybe a year, right? In the timeline, this book is right when the Empire is starting or about to start. So, I mean, there's a good, what, how many years before he shows up in Rebels? It's a ways. Before he shows up in Rebels, yes. But when when does he show up in the Empire? Yeah. When when right. when is he when is he picked up on that planet? I can't remember how long those books last. I mean the the Empire feels kind of established. They've got cadets. They've got yeah their their whole military hierarchy set. I mean it feels like he's got a few years to play with still. He does if if we didn't know there was only one more book. Now maybe there are plans for more books. Yeah. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe the Ascendancy trilogy is literally that. Like by the end of it, he will have ascended as a great Sith leader. Sith leader as a great Sith leader. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe it's not going to butt up against the other books. Maybe we'll Could get be. another trilogy right after this called Chiss Descendancy. Descendancy. And that will lead <laughs> to him right. leaving for the Empire. Do you know what was not in this book? What? Momish. Yes. I was God. He heard you. Stupid Momish. He heard your disgust. I mean, I laughed out loud when I saw the word Grisk finally at the end. Just because we had been joking about it for so long. And he was he was so coy with it. And it's like you finally get to the end and he just kind of slips it in there, you know? And you're like, come on, dude. I I read this so fast that I didn't have time to make notes. I was just highlighting things in my Kindle book, and one word at the end is highlighted and it just says grisks. Yeah. <laughs> well, he says the word and I, I read past it and I was like, hold on. No. <laughs> All right. There it is. <laughs> There it is. That's finally. why I highlighted it. And then I looked it up on Wikipedia and it does confirm that what's his name is a Grisk. Yeah. Yeah, I liked I I did like I mean it was gruesome, but that last fight between the dude and the farmer. Yeah, it was awesome. When the dog had him The Growler. The growler had him like chomped around the neck a little bit. Yeah. He's like, aha. And he came up with a clever plan and he pushed the dog backwards so it hit the farmer's like electronic cattle prod thing. And it killed the dog, but it convulsed so much (laughs) that it chomped down through his artery. (laughs) Killed him. That was pretty cool. (laughs) That was like, because he had this like moment of like, aha, I have defeated it. Oh, oh, crap. (laughs) I thought that was really clever. Lafro Um, don't mess around. I'll say this though. I never thought we've all expressed our problems with the Disney era and our, what we like about the Disney era, we, what we don't like about the Disney era. But never thought I'd be sitting here super excited, waiting to see how they're going to bring Thrawn onto a live action television show. It's a good time to be most Star Wars fans. And for those of you that are the, you know, the little toxic minority, go fuck yourself anyway. So like, but besides that, like, it's a pretty good time. I mean, 
you may not like Boba Fett, but there's a Boba Fett television show coming on. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. You know, I mean, it just is. So we started this podcast talking about basically how the Clone Wars are kind of back with Bad Batch on Disney+. Plus. So for our next book, we're going to discuss a Clone Wars story that never happened. We're going to be reading Dark Disciple by Christine Golden, which is a canon novel adapted from eight unproduced episodes of the final season of the Clone Wars. It's a very exciting book. It's a very, would you say, adult book? Oh, yeah. Very sexy book. And uh, very excited to go back and read it again. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight. And we will talk to you all very soon. Kiss. <laughs> You're the fucking worst. All right. <laughs> you have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger.